0: Welcome in to another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking baseball, Sunbelt Conference baseball, with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. How are you this morning, Danny?
1: Buddy, I'm doing well. It's tournament time. Let's hope everybody's here for as long as they can be. That's what I'm saying. It looks, uh,
0: when I first looked at it when we were in uh, Hattiesburg, the weather report was clear all weekend long. Of course, weatherman can't get the two-hour forecast correct. I don't know why I thought they could get the, the long-range forecast, correct? But hoping the rain stays away. We want to stay on schedule with four games tomorrow. You guys play tonight. So uh, before we jump into that, let's talk about some awards that were handed out yesterday. And uh, any surprises for you uh, uh, with a- any of the uh, the awards, I guess?
1: Well, in in talking with Jay a little bit about how they went through the process of getting the league awards, I think for the next two years, it's going to be first and second team, and then they're going to add a third team once we get to, I believe, either late 24 or baseball 25, I can't remember exactly how how it's going to go, but when you've got a league that has 14 teams, I don't know that two teams seems enough to recognize everybody. And look, I'm not saying that everybody needs a trophy. This isn't a participation kind of deal, but for guys that have had great seasons and look, I'll I'll, I'll speak at it in a case for Georgia Southern with with Blake Evans this year. I mean, he hits 345. and doesn't get a sniff, but there's a lot of talented shortstops in this league. And then with Jared Brown and Noah Ledford, Brown was fourth in the league in RBIs. He led conference play in RBIs by a pretty wide margin. Noah Ledford was fifth in RBIs. He also had 15 home runs. But in those cases, the averages were a little bit low, so I can understand it, but still to be top five in a major category and to not see anything. Now, Jesse Sherrod was absolutely the correct decision as the first team second baseman. He's the only 400 hitter in the league. The league hasn't had a 400 hitter in seven years, so I hope that he's able to continue the assault on that for some other teams. I, I guess it's tough to argue with Gary Gilmore being coach of the year when Coastal's a top 10 team. I, I can't really, I can't really argue that one. And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but Julian Brock not being the first team catcher is, was a little bit of a surprise because he's a complete player. He not just has the offense about him, but he's widely known as the best defensive catcher in this league. Not that there isn't some talent up in Conway, and yeah, there's a couple of other things that you could probably look at and say, well, this could have gone this way, this could have gone that way. The, the point is that the guys that are honored probably deserved it. But in a couple of years, whenever you add that additional team, you'll be able to recognize guys that also deserved some accolades as well for having great seasons. Because at this point, you've got some guys that are hitting 340 like a Blake Evans that didn't get a sniff in anything. And then I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily wrong, but I do think that when you have a league with this many teams, you need to have at least a third team to say, Hey, you had an all-conference season and you deserve to get named to this.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. And and I don't think adding a third team is a participation trophy for, for anyone. Like you said, Uh, the one thing I hope they don't do is, uh, it, it drives me, and now, base. Well, I guess baseball, yeah, they actually do have more players with 22 if you count defense, uh, special teams, and are well, actually more than 22. So, I guess the honorable mention there is not as bad, but at the same time, do we really need it after three teams? So, yeah, but it is what it is, and, and to your point about, uh, I believe. You spoke about shortstop, and one of those things that I think that I've talked about a lot this year with different people around the league uh, as they're traveling. One thing that um, Barry Larkin pointed out on an early Reds game uh, this season was, you know, the guys that get drafted are a lot of shortstops. You know, they're playing outfield in MLB now, or they're playing third base, or they're playing first base. But but – traditionally probably not as much in the college game uh, when you're recruiting uh, you're not just recruiting shortstops because they're the best athlete on the team but in the college game you really do have the best athletes probably in the game at shortstop. so it's kind of hard uh, to, to 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 pick that one or two shortstops out of a league of 14 teams I guess is yeah. where I'm going if that makes yeah. sense after my rambling and incoherent thoughts so uh let's talk about a little bit about the
1: tony Robichaux
0: award because you know the young young man that uh, received the award can you tell us a little bit about him
1: yeah jp is just a phenomenal kid for obvious reasons i don't need to tell you that because he's won an award that was named after coach roe but i do know that the league has been looking to do something like this for a couple of years and they were finally able to get this done and award the inaugural and to know that JP is tied to somebody that was as dedicated and as principled as coach Robe was. And I mean, you know, I've had, I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times and not knowing that you were going to be part of his second to last ever game in 2019, of course, you never know. And I've told you the story before about how him and Rodney hadn't had one last conversation as coach was on his way out of Conway because he had a high school graduation that weekend that he had to get back to before the Eagles played in the championship game on Sunday, but to honor him in this way is very fitting. It's very appropriate. And JP is a fifth year guy. That's, that's been a benefit of COVID is that you get the extra year from guys that you wouldn't get, but he's got such a great family. He is such a cool story. His, his dad was a college athlete. He went to Dalton High School where Rodney Hannon went, so the, their families have known each other for a long time. He actually went to high school with J.P.'s mom, so they've, they've known about each other for a while. They are both were two-sport athletes at Dalton High School up in North Georgia, and J.P.'s had to deal with a couple of fairly serious injuries during his time here. He actually, as a freshman in 2019, had to take over when Matt Anderson, who spent six years with Georgia Southern, he suffered a back injury – towards the middle of his freshman season. And then JP all of a sudden has to catch two thirds of the game the rest of the year and get the Eagles to a, to a championship game. So he's had to be a leader ever since he got to campus, but that's something that he's done his entire life, whether he has been playing youth ball, multi-sport athlete growing up, he embodies everything that coach Robe was about. And it's not just an honor for him and his family, to be tied to this but this is an honor for georgia southern to be the first school that gets a chance to be the recipient of this this is a really really special thing for us uh you know i
0: i wish i mean i know they've been working on it for a while we talked about it off the air but kind of wish i knew this was coming a little bit earlier but at the same time i'm not the one they need to contact <laughs> to have the award done so i get it but uh uh, well deserved, then. Thank you for uh, for that. Um, just kind of looking down the list here. Any surprises that? Uh, oh my gosh! Now his name escapes me. The coach at Southern Miss retiring. Scott Berry. Scott Berry. Thank you.
1: Gosh. I, I think that this had been rumored for a little while. It's it's always a surprise though when it happens when it does because sometimes it's oh well, I'm going to do it after next year so you can get the retirement tour. Sometimes it's sudden, it's right after season's over, because I think that's what happened with Corky Palmer back in 09, who Barry took over before he was the assistant for him. I think he said right after the College World Series, that was it. And he had just taken them to Omaha for the first time ever. The, the thing about Southern Miss that has made them so successful, and this is a longstanding tradition that they've had, it stays in the family. Hill Denson, Pete Taylor, Corky Palmer, Scott Barry, now Christian Ostrander. It's this what they do. They have this way. It's put in place by whomever the coach was. It's given to the top assistant. That is just how Southern Miss baseball has done it. That's how they're going to continue to do it. And it's probably not great for the rest of the league that Coach Ostrander is taking over because he is widely considered one of the best pitching coaches in the country. But at the same time, it is very good for this league that he is going to be in this league because it's going to keep Southern miss at the top of this conference for as long as they want to be. This, this was the absolute right thing. And I'm glad that coach Barry got the recognition that he deserved because that that's, that's a program that does things the right way. And it's, it's fun to watch them now that they're in this league, as opposed to what they were doing in conference USA, the previous couple of years, but well-deserved and very, very happy for them.
0: Have you had an opportunity to meet coach Barry?
1: I did not. I have not had a chance to meet him, but I, I will tell you that I've talked with John Cox, the great voice of Southern Miss about him a couple of times. And John knows everybody. John can remember when he met everybody. And he told me the story that first time that he and Scott Barry met would have been 1990, right before some of the renovations took place at the old Pete Taylor and they didn't have the press box done yet. So John told me he would use to announce the games from behind a pitching screen. And he said, Scott Barry came over back in this day and said, what are you doing behind a bitchy screen? So they had a big laugh. They talked for a few minutes, and it's it's been the last 33 years that they've known each other. That was, that was just a really cool thing that he shared. And John's going to be a resource like that in, in a lot of different ways. Even fairly recently when the the late voice of the East Carolina Pirates, Jeff Charles, passed away. He spent 35 years as the voice of East Carolina. Well, they're in Copper USA just getting Marshall and Southern Miss from there, you've got Steve Cotton, who's been in Marshall for three decades. John, of course, it's four and a half decades at Southern Miss. So for all of us that may have had brief interactions or a game here and there with East Carolina, you've got stories coming from those two about how good of a guy he was and about some of the things that he did and just some of the things that made him him. It, it was just a really touching thing that they did. I know that's way off the question that you that's asked right. me, but you got, you, you got to be going on attention a little bit. With with Coach Barry, but it, it's 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 an indication of the kind of people that are in this league, whether it's the coaches, the players, or the broadcasters. It's it's a special family that we have, and it, it's one that it's 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 a privilege to be part of.
0: Well, I, I can tell you, just listening to Coach Babineau and uh, and Jay on the broadcast, lots of mad respect for uh, Coach Barry. So, best of luck in retirement to him. And to your point about John, I've had the uh, the pleasure of meeting him twice in football when we went there this past year and this weekend during baseball, a true gentleman and a scholar. unlike he our, best?
1: Yeah, Isn't he just the best?
0: He, he really is. I mean, he treated me so nice, and I'm like, I'm really nobody, you know, but thank you. But, no, very nice man and uh, very knowledgeable, not just about the game of baseball, but like you said, a true resource for Southern Miss athletics. So it was a very fun time getting to chat with him about it and, uh, talk to some of the guys, uh, SID. Uh, uh, I know you, we talked about it yesterday for a few minutes, Jack, uh, Jack Duggan, Jack Duggan, uh, another true gentleman and a scholar there too. So, and I know his, I know his title is not SID, so sorry, director of communications of athletics or something, but, uh, I'll, I just uh, shout out to those, those, those that, uh, southern miss for a weekend that was uh i got to admit and here i go off on a tangent because ADV kicks in and maybe hadd or add or dum dum dumb but um you know they had the coach Barry retirement they had senior day uh they just had so many things going on i have to admit i got a little bit choked up watching some of the ceremonies Uh, You know, after just having gone through it the previous weekend at the Teague with Mother's Day graduation that we do on the baseball field and uh, Senior Day. So it's really hard, uh, but it was nice to see their fans, the way they reacted to their players, uh, I thought was very
1: nice. In In the little bit that I've had a chance to see Southern Miss, it's been one basketball game and a baseball series down there at the end of March. I know we don't know each other's fan bases very well. We've hardly played in anything in the history of either program. Southern Miss does things the right way. And that is a baseball place. And I think that they're more than happy to be in this league because they had success in Conference USA, but I think that they looked around and saw there's not a lot of baseball schools in this league. They're in a conference where baseball matters.
0: Yes. I I just... I think what they bring to the table here, uh, just as Georgia Southern, when they came into the league and Coastal, the, uh, it, it it has only made baseball better in the Sunbelt Conference. So thank thanks to all of those guys that came in. Uh, let's get rid of this. So let's talk about uh, the championship weekend. Uh, well, before we do that, standings. Any real surprises on how people finished in the league? I mean, it's almost almost kind of looks very close to the preseason
1: picks. Considering the way Old Dominion looked when they came to Statesboro, seeing them in 10th was a little – and, look, I know that they've had – they're without one of their big bats. They're without one of their top pitchers. But that was such a well-balanced team. They could hit a lot of home runs, but they ran well. They hit and ran their pitching depth. I like the quality of their arms. It, it just seems like they've really struggled to maintain that. App State sneaking into the top six is one that probably grabbed your attention a little bit. And it's it's taken Kermit Smith a while to get that program to now where this is his best team. It's certainly his best offensive team. I don't know that they've got a lot of arms. But when they give the ball to Xander Hamilton against Troy on Wednesday, I know that Troy just beat him. That, that's going to be asking a lot to do that again. And then if you're at State, you're one win away from getting to the semifinals and getting a day off just because you've set yourself up with that by beating Troy in the last game of the series. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that Georgia Southern's in ninth just because the Eagles have been a top three team in this conference for a number of years. We know about the run getting to numerous conference championship games. They're really going to have to earn it if they do it this year. And even tonight, they're going to take on a team in Georgia State that just swept them 35 to 10 in three games in Atlanta two weeks ago. So you're hoping that maybe at some point that tournament experience is going to pay some dividends and not that Georgia State is going to be ready to go. But this Eagle team is just so battle tested and you wonder if that's going to be able to will them to get to double elimination play starting on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think uh, Old Dominion kind of reminded me of Georgia State in the past, how they jumped out in uh, one conference series early, early and then started to fade. South Alabama not making the tournament is yes. a huge shocker. Yeah. So sure. yeah, I, I really didn't think about when I said that because I forgot Georgia Southern was picked near at the top of the league as well. Uh so I guess there is a uh a little bit there as well. But I agree with you, App State. Uh, if they've figured it out, uh, watch out for them. So um uh, But all right, now that we've talked about the standings, let's talk about the tournament itself. Starting tonight, Old Dominion and James Madison, Uh, James Madison, uh, the seventh seed and Old Dominion, the tenth seed. And we talked about how Old Dominion jumped out. Are they still without their players or is this something that you can see them maybe jumping up and, and taking a little bite out of the Dukes?
1: Well, I know that the the pitcher in question is done for the year, so they've had to mix up their weekend a little bit. And honestly, I have no clue what they're going to do from a starting standpoint, but they're, they're much more of the bullpenning where if you can get that opener to get you two or three innings, then you can figure it out from there. I know a lot of teams are subscribing to that now. JMU seems to be in much better shape, and I can say that Georgia Southern just saw them over the weekend in Statesboro. I thought it was a pretty solid lineup. I think Fenwick Trimble is as good of an outfielder as there is in this league that probably doesn't get the recognition because of some of the star power that's in this league. I was really impressed by him. He had six hits in the three games, rightfully an all-conference guy. And then starting-wise, they don't have what you would call true starters where you can say, go give me 18 outs, go give me 15 outs, go give me 18 outs. They bullpen it as well, but some of their arms... They've got a freshman lefty named T.R. Williams that throws from different arm slots, and it's up to 93. It it, it can be a very deceiving thing to try to go against. He does walk some guys, but their closer, Joe Vygotsky. He's got a really old-school kind of delivery. As a Reds guy, I'll I'll go into the passion here. He he reminds me of the delivery a little bit of Tom Seaver with the way that he's got the leg drive, and he uses his entire body to pitch. And when it comes in and it says 96, and you're wondering – Okay, how did he just throw 96, and then you realize how much everything has to work together to get that, to put up that kind of number. It definitely reminded me of some of the 70s and 80s pitchers that would do that leg drive and just use all their body to throw every single pitch. JMU's got a chance to surprise because I think that their offense can cause some problems with the way that they run. But very similar to Coastal, if you don't let them get the leadoff man on base, it does present them some problems about how to generate their offense.
0: Good deal. Um, Georgia Southern and Georgia State, you guys just saw each other two weeks ago in Panthersville. Is this a uh, – I don't know. I, I know their field tends to play small there. I don't know if the field is small itself. But with the River Rock Riverwalk Stadium uh, going close to north to south, and I don't know how much that – Southern winds means in, in Montgomery, we're not along the coast, but how does this game shake out? I mean, after your visit to Atlanta two weeks ago.
1: Well, it wasn't a good visit as you saw. It was, it definitely was, was not a good visit. I, I would liken it to maybe the Cajuns visit to James Madison a couple of weeks ago. And it happens sometimes you don't want it to, but it does. Georgia State played really well. Georgia Southern didn't, and the scores reflected that. I think Georgia Southern's in a much better space now because they they pitched. I mean, they they put together four straight games where they actually pitched, and I don't know that they've done that the entire season. Ty Fisher looks like he's starting to get it back a little bit. He's had a rough season, but he's had two straight starts where he has pitched into the sixth inning. In fact, he actually pitched into the seventh inning last uh, Friday in the first of a doubleheader, and that does – Stress things a little bit because the Eagles didn't get the Thursday game because of a rain out. They had to play a double header on Friday. So hopefully if you get by this one, I would imagine it's Fisher going tomorrow against either Coastal or Southern Miss. I, I have no idea. That would be my guess. But then for Ben Johnson to step in and throw six innings and a spot start, Javon Ray did the same thing. He goes five and a third, one run in a spot start. And you're thinking, all right, these guys are starting to pitch a little bit. Zach Harris went two and a third scoreless. He's had a really tough season as a freshman who a lot was expected of, and I still think it's in there, and he has shown flashes of it, but he put together back-to-back good outings. He, it's easy to say, well, Georgia State just did what they did. The guy that's pitching for them is a second-team all-league guy, and Ryan Watson, he just got named pitcher of the week, and he threw seven shutout against Georgia Southern in that first meeting. But the Eagles had chances to score against him early. They did not. While Georgia State got a three-run home run that game for Blue Boynton. Never really got it going once Watson settled in. So, yeah, it's probably advantage Georgia State, but in a way, like I was talking about earlier, with Georgia Southern and all this tournament experience, you've got to think that gives them a little bit, even though this hasn't been the season that they were hoping for after hosting a regional last year.
0: Well, the good news is it's the uh, part two of the season, and your record zero and zero. So uh, you can go out and, and make some noise now. That's the hope. Um, Troy and App State, and you mentioned this earlier. They was did they play this past weekend or was that a couple weeks ago? No, just last weekend. So that's nine o'clock on, on Wednesday morning. I mean, Hamilton was just looked so good. I, I did not get to see. Their their game against Troy, but man, Hamilton just looks so good from what I've seen him all year long. What do what does Zap State need to do besides pitching to beat Troy? And is this another game with Troy being away from home and liking the long ball at home with the short porch at right that they might struggle a little bit at the plate?
1: Well, in in App's case, they don't have much of a choice. They've got to go Hamilton Wednesday. Troy is probably in the field of 64. But even so, if you want a chance to get to Sunday, you probably would go with your best in Grayson Stewart, a guy who was just named first team all league. And for somebody that wasn't expected to be what he turned out to be, that was found money for Skyler Mead. That's a heck of a pitching matchup. That that might be the best pitching matchup all of Wednesday between those two that's not going to get the pub that it does. And, you know, for Hamilton, he goes to Coastal and shuts them out over eight innings earlier this year with 15 strikeouts. So that's when people are, okay, we knew he could throw. We didn't know he could do that against them at their place. And Stewart has just been a quality start waiting to happen game one every weekend. So in theory, this is a pretty low scoring game. But you've got to take Troy's offense over App's offense because they could just do a little bit more. App, This is the best offense that App has had under Kermit Smith. But also for Troy, this is fairly close to a home thing for them. They're only about an hour away. They're going to have fans that travel well, especially this year, because they think they have a pretty good chance to win the whole thing. And they've got a number of options they could go to after Stewart. But I just don't know how long that either bullpen is going to be needed because I think both starters have a chance to be really good this game.
0: The Cajuns and uh, Texas State. Cajuns swept the uh, Texas State earlier, but this is also it seems to be a uh, one of those deals where Texas State and the Cajuns have played a lot of games in the tournament, and I don't know how to look at this. Want to help a brother out? <laughs>
1: Well, what's what's your initial thoughts? Let's start there. Well, it's, you know,
0: went to Troy in in, in 2015. We lost the first game uh, against them, a a close game. But then ended up beating the the, the final two games. Texas State just ran out of pitching. Uh, And then they, 2018, the last time the Cajuns hosted the regional, uh, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, we were essentially – we lost to Texas State. It was a game that, that went uh, went long. I, I believe that was the game that went deep into the night, and we, we ended up having to finish it the next ga- day. But I could be wrong. But the Cajuns lost two that year and were eliminated from the tournament. But other than that, those two times, the Cajuns have had success against Texas State in the tournament. So – and under Coach Deggs, we haven't lost to them in the tournament. And I know none of that matters because this is a new year, but it's still kind of, I don't subscribe to the theory that it's hard to beat a team uh, four times or twice in the same year. You know, those type of deals. I think, I think the better team steps up and wins. And I think that's the Cajuns right now.
1: I do know that whatever it happens pitching wise, I would assume it's going to be Jackson Nizum for the Cajuns, and I would also assume that it's going to be Levi Wells for Texas State, which that's another really really good pitching matchup. I like how Texas State's offense has figured some things out a little bit because earlier in this year, I don't think that they quite knew what they were. When Chase Mora, the freshman, had the four home run game, and everybody thought who's this freshman that's going to lead Texas State's offense, but they've still got Gonzalez. They've still they, they still have the ability to affect the game by splitting gaps. And some of it is because of the ballpark, because the wind seems to blow out. But a year ago when they won 45 games, remember they were 15 and 0 on the road in conference. And that had never been done before. And look, I know that that's last year's team, but there are still a lot of guys from that squad that are with this team. And it feels like they are starting to really figure out who they are. And Oh, by the way, they just beat ULM 17, nothing on Saturday. So if you want confidence going into a tournament, you just land based at somebody and ended somebody's season and you've got your best going against somebody else's best. You can, and once you get to a tournament, anything is possible. It it rarely goes the way it is supposed to. This is another really, really good one. And. I think I'd have to favor Texas state's offense slightly because I think that there's a little bit more high risk, high reward with the Cajuns. If the Cajuns get into their game plan, then it's, it's look out. Then Wells could be done early. But if he's getting the leadoff man, if he's getting out of innings, if he's not letting the run game dictate his pace, then it's going to be tough to get him out of the game. And I think the last time they met, it was a couple of home runs. What, there were a couple solo home runs that were the difference in the game. I want to say that I want to say last year, and then that was the Jacob Schultz 197 pitch game, or whatever it was. Yeah,
0: yeah. Last season it was a three to two Cajun victory, and that was when the tournament was uh, was pushed to single elimination. So, um, I I, I just while I don't subscribe, like I said, to it's hard to beat a team uh, uh, a. a fourth time, it's still, it's still a little bit bothersome. So uh, I guess that's why they play the game though. I'm just hoping this game doesn't start at 930 at night.
1: I'll liken this one a little bit to Georgia Southern Georgia state, because you would probably favor Georgia state a little bit, but in your series, I know it was a sweep for some reason. I feel like Texas state's offense might play a little bit better in this ballpark. However, the Cajuns are battle-tested. They've been here. The Supreme has been here. Texas State has consistently come up short in situations like this, but then it's, well, they haven't done it until they're going to be able to do it, so you've got to be able to think that they're going to do it at some point. And Stephen Trout has more than held up his own by saying that he can be one of the top coaches in this league by being one of the youngest coaches in this league. But I will say with the Cajuns coming off of a tournament championship last year, they've got that pedigree, but at the same time, the high-risk, high-reward nature of the offense, despite having probably the best defensive team in school history, it it makes it tough to trust that kind of offense where Texas State isn't nearly as volatile on the offensive end. Agree. Uh, Looking quickly, I
0: mean, I know uh, Coastal and Southern Miss are waiting to see who they will play and Coastal will get the higher number seed that is left in the tournament after tonight's game, which meaning it'll be 10 or 9. I believe no 10 or 8. How is 10, 9 or well, 8? Well,
1: if if old Dominion wins over JMU, they automatically play coastal. Okay. If JMU wins, then the winner of Georgia, Southern Georgia State automatically gets coastal.
0: Okay. So yes, 10, 9, or 8. That's who they'll face and Southern Miss will uh, face the the remaining seed. Uh, let's talk about the tournament in general real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, Grassfield, I've always thought this was interesting. We majority of our teams play on turf all year long. Uh, last year, I was kind of worried about it being a factor in the game, but there were not a whole lot of errors last year, and especially from balls taking odd bounces or getting through, from what I we could see. Does – Does the grass field come into play?
1: It's funny you bring that up because I talked with Mike Hammett from ULM about it, and he said how many times they had played on turf this year and that games where they ended up playing on a natural surface, it just seemed different. But that's because they played so many games on a turf field, not that they were overloaded at home. It was just the fact that wherever they were, it seemed to be turf. And the first game of the Georgia Southern Series, it comes down to the ninth inning, two outs, There's a booted ball at shortstop where it may not have taken the truest hop because it was a natural field and not the turf field next batter. Noah Ledford, it's a walk-off home run, and that ends the game. But I guess in this case, it becomes a factor if you let it. I I agree. I think it's psychological. And the fact – but the fact that nobody gets on this field until you play on this field – Might be a little bit, but that's just the net. That's the nature. That's just the way it is. That's the setup. But if you let it affect you, it's probably going to affect you.
0: Where do the teams, I'm sure they're going to practice somewhere before they hit the field in Montgomery. They're not just going to sit around all day. Where do they Is there a high school field they go to, or is is it Montgomery State?
1: Auburn-Montgomery is about 15 minutes away. I think a number of schools will go there. I'm not sure if high schools get used. I would imagine just because you've got at least a couple teams that need to get swings in at all times. So I I would think that's the case. But the one I know for sure is Georgia Southern uses Auburn-Montgomery for batting practice before they, they head over to the Riverwalk.
0: Okay. Lastly... Let's talk about the RPI. Uh, I think it's safe to say Coastal and Southern Miss are both in. Uh, I've got to believe, unless something really freaky happens, that Troy at 35 is automatically in as well.
1: Yeah, I would think so too. And then you're hoping as a Sunbelt League supporter that a fourth team wins the tournament, so you get four teams in for the second straight year. But
0: will they get four teams in if – Troy goes to and done. Do you think if somebody else wins, wins the league? You understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah.
1: I think, I, I think Troy's pretty safe. Okay. Fair enough. Because I think that they've been so hot lately that they build up enough of a buffer where if things don't go their way, I don't think it would end their season. I, I think that they're, I think they're in.
0: I'm gonna have to go back and look at this, but with, uh, 10 teams in the top 100 of the RPI. I know we have 14 teams now, but at the same time, these guys, everybody seems to be taking care of their business as far as scheduling. Do you, do you see that as well?
1: Well, look around you. You now have a league that it might start to be run by Southern Miss. If other teams don't start stepping up, we know Coastal is trying to get back to that national championship from 2016 and they're top 10 team. so it appears that they're they're well on their way and this this is a message to the rest of the league that you you could be one of the 14 teams, but if you don't start to put yourself in a better situation get ready to get cozied up with not being in the tournament every year
0: well I think with Marshall building a new facility uh, hopefully they will schedule a little bit better and then South Alabama we know what they can do uh you know they're just what what are they two years removed from a a regional final
1: yeah they were they were one game away from going to the super
0: yeah so we know south alabama uh, has that pedigree and everything else but you know uh Sunbelt baseball is just it, it is fun to watch it's fun to hate on some of the players Sports hatred not real hatred like i'm i'm going to shoot them or throw a rock at them in the game although i'd like to sometimes with those guys with their pants above their knees but i'm not going to go on this that rant this time so you can thank me later what's that
1: it didn't sound like you were going to either
0: so but somehow baseball is fun so last words of wisdom before we sign off for the day going into the tournament uh looking forward to seeing you tomorrow so you guys go out and win so we can have another chat and maybe an adult beverage or three,
1: but. This, yeah, talking with uh, Rodney Hennon last night, this, this is definitely different with Georgia Southern having to win a game just to get into the bigger party, but maybe it's just supposed to be part of this team's story where instead of being in a position where you can wait and see for the second day and then go on whatever run you're supposed to go, Maybe this team is just destined to have a situation like this where they get a chance to get one back against a team that made them look a little foolish a couple weeks ago. It It was a bad, bad weekend, one of the worst weekends, I think, that I've seen since I got here eight years ago. But now they get a chance to get that back. They get a chance to show how much that they've improved in a short amount of time if they can pitch. And then you take a shot against either Coastal or Southern Miss, and then you see what happens if you can get there.
0: Well, I, I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I really think that uh, after the first two days, I think anybody can win. The pitching is not as deep as it's been in the past, except for maybe someone like coastal or or Southern miss. And I think even they are vulnerable to some of the
1: offenses that we have around the league. So, and and I don't know if you and I talked about this specifically yesterday, but Instead of looking at this through, you've got to take a series. You get them. You just got to beat them once. Yep. Yep. It just it just takes one game.
0: Win in advance. So fun day. Looking forward to it as I said. Uh, Best of luck to y'all tonight. I'll be listening to your radio broadcast, which I thoroughly enjoy. So thank you, Danny. We'll chat later. See you in Montgomery tomorrow. Hopefully we'll chat a lot later. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thanks. You've been listening to We're Talking. We've been talking to baseball, Sunbelt Conference baseball, with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Thanks for listening. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it. Share it. Put it in your podcast.
1: Broadcast it. Or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.